On the 1st of September 1939, 25-year-old Malvern resident Lorna Lloyd started writing her diary of the war. This is episode 8. It is December 1940. Tuesday, December 31st, 1940. The most curious feature of this diary are the gaps. As though when things are worst and most pressing to express, anything is practically impossible, and when things are better, the desire is less urgent. This is the last day of the most terrible, incredible year that anyone has been called upon to live since the world began. What glorious effrontery to be able to say that and mean it. No nation on earth has ever stood up to what we have this year and survived as we have, and even managed to end up with a species of solemn optimism for 1941. Does it spring from a sure foreknowledge of the future, or from a cheerful pessimism that, after all, it would be hard for things to be much worse? Whatever 1941 may have in store for us, it couldn't find it easy to surpass what 1940 had for us, if we had known it. So much of this diary, which was real and passionate at the time, now seems a little false and stilted. So much more has acquired a significance, unsuspected when the words were written. Perhaps one shouldn't write diaries, at least not the moralising kind, nor as a peg to hang a war on. How did one feel at the time? Hardly at all. Frequently one deliberately prevented oneself from thinking, or even allowing dread possibilities from taking the shape of thoughts. The nightmare of the fall of France. How does it look now after six months? Perhaps worse than it did when it was happening, because possibilities and dangers, which were not apparent, because of the very horror of it, have been reached and passed. A church clock is striking ten outside, and there are two hours of 1940 left. I often listen to that clock in the night. It represents order, decency and sanity. And yet I wonder how long even it will last. St Mark's, the church where I was confirmed, the little bookshop where Joyce and I made innumerable little purchases, are destroyed. Mrs Fisher's house with the ridiculous bull's head sticking out of the quite meaningless facade is burnt out. Craigmore harbours soldiers. London vanishes gradually. Now a slice is shorn away on a Sunday night. Now inchmill buildings are levelled and gaps torn in its ancient fabric. With each, something dies that was hallowed by generations of hope and endeavour. Quiet monuments of ordinary strivings vanish into piles of rubble. And some there be which have no memorial, who are perished as though they had never been and are become as though they had never been born, and their children after them. I think I understand rather better than I did what was meant by the seeming paradox. But these were merciful men, whose righteousness hath not been forgotten. Saturday, January 4th, 1941. Daddy left home at 8.30am on the first stage of his journey to the Near East. Poor darling mummy. He leaves Liverpool tomorrow, or Monday. In February 1942, 
Lorna's brother Theo wrote to their father, who was abroad on active service. Feb 5th, 1942. Raglan House, Summers Road, Malvern Link, Worcestershire. My dear father, I enclose a copy of Lorna's will, which, as I mentioned in my last letter, was unsigned. I am informed that she therefore died intestate, and that you, as her next of kin, become sole possessor of all her worldly goods. The original of this document I have sealed in the presence of witnesses and sent to the bank. I expect that you will wish that the terms of the will shall be carried into effect, but immediately certain difficulties arise. The difficulties which immediately spring to my mind are these. 1. No dividends from any of her holdings can be credited to the estate unless now endorsed by you. 2. Such balance as she has in the bank cannot be invested unless authority is given by you. 3. She appears to have Daphne Bird's musical thesis at the bank under her signature for safekeeping against the possibility of destruction by air raids. There may also be other similar documents. These, therefore, are not removable except by your signature. There will probably be many other snags which will arise in the course of time. That everything should be sent to you for authorization is an obvious impossibility. There is too much risk of loss. I suggest, therefore, that you send me an authority to take letters of administration on the estate in my name and in mother's name. This, of course, would have to be done through a solicitor. However, I can do nothing until I hear from you. We laid our darling to rest most beautifully this afternoon in Malvern Wells Cemetery, very near Dennis Weston, of whom she was very fond. We made everything as sweet and simple as she would have loved it to be, a plain elm coffin with no metal of any kind, coupled with pure white silk surrounding her, made her look like a lovely alabaster statue. She looked so peaceful, released from all her pain, and it was, towards the end, very great. She died with a smile on her lips. Mother was wonderful, and continues to be so, she can have no regrets, for she has been as devoted in her service of Lorna as no one could ever have been. I do not forget that she saved my life when I was ill in Bristol. Her life has always been one of unbounded love to us both. I did my best to sustain and uphold her, as you would have done had you been here. Much of her trial is yet to come, but with God's help I shall do my best to ease her suffering." I hope my little daughter may, in her innocence and babyhood, help to fill the gap God has seen to make in all our lives. Ever your affectionate son, Theo. Obituary. Lorna Beatrice Lloyd, 1914-1942. Lorna Beatrice Lloyd was an unpublished writer and World War II diarist, amateur artist and schoolmistress. Lorna was born in Filton, Bristol, on the 7th of January, 1914. Over the course of their childhood, Lorna and her elder brother Theo lived with their parents in Bristol, Stirling, Ilford and Sheffield. In Lorna's earliest years, her father was absent while serving in World War I. Lorna's parents were from families that benefited socially and economically in the Victorian and Edwardian periods. Her maternal grandfather began his career as a railway clerk in Yorkshire. He ended it as a banker and stockbroker in Bristol 
and a friend of King Peter I of Serbia. Lorna's paternal grandfather's first job was as an errand boy for his journeyman fishmonger father. By the time of Lorna's birth, he ran a chain of fishmongers across five locations in Bristol. The family retail business passed down the generations and is still in existence today, although it no longer deals in fish. Lloyd's Greengrocer trades in Henley's Bristol. Lorna's own father was described as a man of private means in the 1911 census. He later went into business after serving in World War I, and at the time that Lorna started her war diary, he was a retired iron and seal merchant living with his wife and daughter in Malvern. He returned to active service in 1940. World War II was his third war, after the Second Boer War and World War I. Like married women of her class at the time, Lorna's mother did not undertake paid work. Lorna was lucky to have been born into a family that was relatively wealthy at the start of the 20th century and continued to be so throughout her short life. She undertook her secondary schooling first at Ilford Hall High School, then at Sheffield High School for Girls. Her privileged middle-class childhood afforded leisure time and resources to develop various talents. She played the piano, she wrote short stories, plays and poetry, she drew and painted, she designed costumes for theatrical performances, and she wrote, read and spoke French. Lorna's childhood passions were books, dogs and boats, all of which she enjoyed on family holidays in Lou, Cornwall, with her parents and brother, and the Lloyd grandparents, uncles, aunts and cousins. Academically gifted, Lorna left home in 1933 to study at Girton College, Cambridge, supported by a prestigious state scholarship. She read for a BA in English in 1936. However, she did not graduate. The University of Cambridge did not award degrees to women in the 1930s. At Girton College, Lorna was an active member of the Dramatic Society as a producer, designer and actor, and a member of the Debating Society. Lorna's first job was part-time English mistress at the County High School, Starbridge, 1936 to 1937, and her second was assistant English mistress at the Royal School, Bath, circa 1937 to 1939. However, her teaching career was cut short due to illness. By the outbreak of the war, in September 1939, the 25-year-old was once again living with her parents. They had moved from Sheffield to Malvern following the sale of her father's Sheffield business in 1935. From this base in Malvern, Lorna was able to attend Gloucester Infirmary for medical treatment. It was in this period that Lorna wrote her war diary. Sadly, Lorna's medical treatment was unsuccessful. Her condition worsened from mid-1940 onwards, and she died at her parents' house in Malvern on the 2nd of February 1942, within a month of her 28th birthday. The cause of her death was cancer and heart failure. Lorna was survived by both her parents until 1959, and her brother Theo until 1981. Without children of her own, Lorna's memory has been kept alive by Theo's descendants. One of these is Lorna's great-great-niece, actor Bethany Ray. Bethany, who turned 25 in May 2022, has played her great-great-aunt in this podcast series. Thank you for listening to Lorna Lloyd's Diary of the War. This podcast series was brought to you by staff and students of the School of Computing at Edinburgh Napier University. Lorna Lloyd was played by Bethany Ray, Theo Lloyd by David Monteith, and the newsreader by Richard Godden. Catherine Stephen was the announcer. The War Diary was written by Lorna Lloyd. Additional radio news broadcast material was supplied by the BBC Archive, copyright BBC. Print news was sourced from the British Newspaper Archive, with thanks to the British Library and Find My Past, and from back issues of the Malvern Gazette, held at Malvern Library. The theme tune is an extract from César Franck's Symphony in D minor, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Richard Hickox on the 5th of September 2003, 
and also kindly made available by the BBC Archive. The podcast was produced by third-year students Alex Genks, David Graham, James McLaughlin, Andrash Peter and Michael Sutty, under the supervision of Ian McGregor. The podcast series was directed by Bruce Ryan, with the assistance of Hazel Hall. The UK Arts and Humanities Research Council funded this work through the Creative Informatics Programme. The Edinburgh Napier University team acknowledges all who have supported the work that has brought Lorna Lloyd's writing to a wider audience. From the BBC, British Library, Find My Past, Malvern Museum of Local History, the Lloyd family and the Blip Photo community. Special thanks to Sarah Ames, Louise Ashton, Marjorie Bailey, Catherine Banks, Gillian Barrington, Jake Berger, Sandra Cairncross, Grant Cassidy, David Darlington, Emma Gibbs, Sue Dumbleton, Ingi Helgeson, Jonathan Lloyd, Gillian Maloney, David Monteith, Paul Nixon, Nicola Osborne, Inga Peniels, Guy Pusey, Tim Reed, Faith Renger, Mandy Sims, Kirsten Steiner, Adrian Willard, Marianne Wilson and Stella Wisdom. Find out more about Lorna Lloyd and wartime in Malvern at www.malvernmuseum.co.uk.